I want to talk about Sir John Gurdon because I was once a cloner. I was a clone warrior. And I started my PhD back in the mid-90s. And uh, back at that time, cloning wasn't really a known thing. This was two years before Dolly the Sheep was born. And uh, I had this crazy research project where I wanted to look at, look at this concept called reprogramming. I was using and had worked in IVF, so I had this technique called ICSI, intracytoplasmic sperm injection, where you can pick up an individual sperm and inject it into an oocyte and, and thereby fertilise the egg. And I had heard about some work that had been done in cattle cloning where they'd been able to make an embryo using a very similar technique. This technique was called somatic cell nuclear transfer, but it was very, very similar to take an egg, take out the chromosomes from the egg and put in a sort of a substitute uh, nucleus from, in this case, it was from a cumulus cell, and they were the cells that surround the egg. Anyway, so some, some people, um, or a guy called Philip Kohler in uh, America had done this work in cattle, and he'd made an embryo, but the embryo didn't grow. didn't grow into a calf when it was put back into a uterus. And what I was interested in, in doing was just to, to use a mouse model to see if we could do you know, something similar, make a cloned embryo, but not try to make mice, but try to see if we could make stem cells from that embryo. And this was all really trying to come, and, and the reason I wanted to use stem cells is we had some markers where we could look at whether the cells were, were, were fully kind of restored, restored back to pluripotency, restored back to full function. Because back then, there was a, a bit of a doubt around whether in the mammalian system you could go from a fully mature cell and take it back to a primitive cell. So that was my kind of crazy project. And uh, as I mentioned, there was this one paper, or one line from a paper that from Philippe's work, uh, and, and one um, abstract from a, a Japanese study in mice. And But I thought, I could already do this technique. So I'd already saved some time, you know. Um, and I thought I could just do this, be pretty simple. Started doing a bit of reading about, you know, why Philip used this particular type of technology. And I came across this guy called John Gurdon. And he had published his work in the, in the 60s using frog uh, embryos and, and frog eggs. And he had done the first sort of proof of concept in, mam in, in um, amphibia where he had taken this sort of gut, cell and done this somatic cell nuclear transfer. So again, got rid of the maternal chromosomes, chucked in the gut nucleus, and that gut nucleus drove development and made little frogs. So I um, did a bit more reading about John, and I was absolutely fascinated, and I'd always been interested in the history of science, but I was just struck by how 40 years ago he'd done this, and he'd done it and at a time when uh, the concept that a cell could drive development, could be reprogrammed, was just completely against dogma. So I did a bit of reading about him. I did a bit of reading about what inspired him, the work that came before him, um, people like uh, King and Briggs and, and, and another guy called Speeman, who did some fantastic work. In fact, Speeman had used the hair of his baby, so baby hair, uh, to cut a um, or, or cleave a salamander embryo because what he wanted to look at was where, what drives development and where, what part of the embryo is essential. Can he, could, he, could he cleave the embryo and make twins? Could he cut it up in different way and make more than twins? So he was really interested in sort of capacity. So 
Anyway, that was all of the, the kind of the background, but I was really fascinated by what, what John did. And um, then, of course, Dolly the Sheep was born, and the whole field kind of took off. And it was all really, really exciting because all of a sudden we had this incredible technology that perhaps could perhaps could help humans, not to clone humans, because that would be wrong. Same technology, but put back an embryo into a uterus, that would be wrong. But if we could take an embryo and make stem cells from it, oh my God, we could make cells for that patient that wouldn't be rejected. That could be a source of material. So it opened up this whole new, new kind of opportunity, I suppose. Certainly a lot of public angst. And my project, from being a very obscure project, suddenly became extremely interesting. Anyway, to cut a long story short, after four years of blood, sweat and tears, I actually was able to show the proof of concept in mouse. I could make these stem cells. And I went and worked in Edinburgh for a little while. And when I was at Edinburgh, John Gurdon came to give a special lecture. So I thought, fantastic, I'm going to get to go and speak to John. So I didn't know a lot about him. I knew he was a... Um, had, had gone to school, well, actually was an Ox Oxbridge Don. I knew he had, um, he was very much of the old school. Someone had told me he used to drive around Cambridge in a, a beautiful uh, MG. And I can kind of visualise it, born in the 1930s, right? 33, I think he was born. So um, went and listened to John give his seminar and then uh, they'd arranged for me to spend a couple of hours with him and ended up spending the afternoon with him. And he was absolutely fascinating had this incredible, we were talking before about describing people, he had this quaff of hair that he used to flick like this the whole time. I was completely mesmerised. So he was about 77 at this stage, I think, and uh, he was just absolutely charming. And not only did he, he love talking about the science, he talked about all of these ethical issues and the implications of what we were doing. And um, I, just, I was just completely captivated. So um, when I, I was talking about this a little bit, before, um, but we got to, we, we got to, we got very well and he was really, I was thrilled that he knew a bit, bit about my work. Um, but uh, he, he kind of hadn't ever, I thought, been really noted for his, um, his work, in, certainly in the contemporary sciences. What happened about six years later is a guy called Shin Yamanaka in Japan, he found out there was a new way of making these pluripotent stem cells. Um, not by using the black box of the egg, because we didn't really understand why the egg could reprogram the nucleus and drive development. But what Shinya did was he kind of identified some genes and if they were overexpressed in a skin cell, changed the skin cell over a couple of weeks back into a pluripotent stem cell. So he found another way to kind of do what John and, and others who had been trying to do or at least were intrigued about and um, was able to do this. So that was back in 2006. In 2012, it was, we all awoke to the news that Shinya Manaka had been given the Nobel Prize for this discovery, this induced pluripotent stem cell, and was met with much acclaim. I was absolutely thrilled when the next bit of the news broadcast was that John Gurdon would share the Nobel Prize with him. And I thought that was so fitting because, you know, we celebrate success in terms of a discovery, but we often forget those who came before. And, um, Again, in, uh, typical of John, he went, when he was interviewed about his success, not only did he kind of uh, acknowledge, obviously, the research that led before him, but he also acknowledged Ian Wilmot and his team. And he actually thought that the Nobel Prize should have been split between the three, which I thought was lovely. He also went on in his um, press conference and other interviews he's done subsequently to talk about how, um, how much drive, I suppose, you need in science and to reflect on the science 
uh, on, on the report card he got from Eton when he left. And I thought I'd read out it, I read it to you because John actually has it framed in his office. Um, and I just think it's really quite gorgeous. Um, so I have a printout here. Anybody else can download this from Wikipedia. Um, but it, uh, um, it's obviously just says name Gurdon, because of course there were no first names back then. And this is from his um, head of biology at Eton in 1949. It's been a disastrous half. His work has been far from satisfactory. His prepared stuff has been badly learned and several of his test pieces have been torn. One such piece prepared work so badly it was scored two marks out of a possible 50. His other work has been equally bad and several times he's been in trouble because he will not listen, but he will insist on doing his work his own way. I believe he has ideas about becoming a scientist. On his present showing, this is quite ridiculous. <laughs> if he can't learn simple biological facts, he would have no chance of doing work of a specialist. And it would be sheer waste of time for both on his part and of those who have to teach him. Luckily for us, John wasn't deterred by that report. And apparently with his mother's help, he got a, um, an opportunity to go and study zoology. And uh, I think he's made an enormous contribu contribution. And every, um, every time I think and reflect about his work, I think, thank goodness for his persistence. He wasn't just passionate about um, this particular aspect of zoology. He had so many other interests, including he talks a lot about how we need to talk about science simply. And uh, he talks about the fact that he can't understand complex issues, so he doesn't like to talk about it. And I think it's something we should all, all remember how great it is to talk about science, but take our message and keep it simple. So thank you.